Happy Halloween. Yes, it's the scariest time of year. I hope you're going to be doing some trick-or-treating tonight. Not one of the trunk-or-treating. That's just cheating, okay? Don't trunk-or-treat. Trick-or-treat. That's the way it's supposed to be. And I had my own version of trick-or-treating over the past 14-plus uh, months. Finally, late last week, I got a text that said, yes, the car you ordered in August 2021 is finally here. You can come pick it up. And I will say, after a very, very long back and forth, I was able to finally get the car in my possession. What an incredible thing that's happening in this country. If you want to pay a bunch of money for a car, it might just come after over a dozen months, an entire year of waiting. Thank you, Joe Biden and this wonderful, wonderful economy. It wasn't a trick. It is quite the treat. I'm very excited about it. And thank you for all of you out there who who went through this incredible journey with me as I suffered and suffered and suffered in car solitude without my little baby, who is now here with me. And I do appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, our long national nightmare is over. Stu does America. Sign up to blazetv.com slash stew. The promo code is stew. Election coverage is coming up on Tuesday. You don't want to miss the Blaze TV coverage. It's going to be fantastic. Don't miss it. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now. And I'm just going to tell you a little preview. After the election coverage wraps up, I think around midnight Eastern time, uh, I might just continue it on my YouTube channel. So go there now, youtube.com slash America, and get coverage into the, into the wee hours of the morning. You're going to love it. Brian Riedel is going to be here to scare the crap out of you on Halloween, economically, of course. Elon's major Twitter changes are starting to roll out, but we start by doing the media blame game. Yes, we're talking the Pelosi break-in from late last week. We talked about it a little bit on Friday. And, of course, the story has begun to develop a little bit farther. But there's something very, very important that you need to understand about it. And we'll get to that here in just a second. First, let me give you the updates about what's going on. Uh, the alleged Paul Pelosi attacker, David Tapapi, is uh, charged with assault and attempted kidnapping. I will say, I've heard uh, Tapapi pronounced 147 different ways. I'm going with the one the police went with. I don't know if that's the right one. Sorry, Dave. Actually, not so sorry, Dave. I don't, I don't care about you. But... I'm trying to get it right. I'm just going with the police pronunciation, but I've heard it a hundred different ways. So if this is wrong, just go back in, record this program on YouTube, go back in and edit in your own voice saying it correctly, and then play it back and it'll be perfect. Uh, Nancy Pelosi's son reveals the extent of dad's hammer attack. They are rebuilding him slowly. I don't know if he's the bionic man or what. Look, nobody wants to get hit with a hammer in the head. Negative experience for all uh, to have. And also a fractured skull. Seems like that was part of the package. Not, not a good picture. Uh, Paul Pelosi attack suspect David DePappi had a list of other people he wanted to target, according to police. We're still getting bits and pieces, and we really don't know all that much. So I want to go through a few aspects of this story that I think are important, starting with uh, be careful. There's a lot of stuff out there right now. A lot of stuff on the right, a lot of stuff on the left. People kind of speculating about all sorts of crap. We don't know enough about what happened yet to really come to any final conclusions as to what started this attack, why it happened, how it happened. We know there was a lot of details in the early 911 calls and all of that that seemed to tell kind of a different story. People are revising what they say. Part of this is suspicious. Part of this is just normal. 
whenever there's a big news event like this, a lot of times the early reporting is crappy and off base. Sometimes people say things that are untrue and it's hard to kind of immediately go forward with what is factual and what isn't. And that's the thing we all need to remember. There's no reason for us to know every answer about this story today. We don't have to know everything about it. There's no, the guy's in, in you know, he's in a hospital or in, in jail. He's uh, away from society, that much we know. Uh, the event is over. There's no real reason for us to know every detail about this. And we don't know every detail about this. We don't need to speculate about everything we don't know. There's a lot of stuff on the internet, I will tell you, that I don't think is true. Uh, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that probably is true that we don't know it yet. Until we actually have factual basis for these things, we don't wanna be like the left. We don't wanna be like them. We wanna know the facts before we say all the stuff that we're feeling because when it's backed up by facts, it feels so much better. So as we do understand the story, we will bring you more of it. But as you would expect with 100% certitude, we've entered the element of predictable media bias. It is so true. I mean, I could give you a hundred different examples. We pulled a bunch of them, but we're not going to have time to go through all of them. Examples of the, uh, the, the left and the media and politicians blaming the right. Let me give you one quick one here so you get the flavor. Um, that it all had taken place. And you see those numbers, the threats that lawmakers are receiving now, um, almost tripling in the last four years or so. Um, what do you make of it in the rising violence um, and rhetoric that we're seeing? And the fact that this appears to have been spun up by right-wing propaganda makes it even more dangerous, I hope, gives the people behind the right-wing propaganda a moment's pause about the wisdom of cranking so much of that into uh, our ecosystem. See, that's what I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't know anything about the story and is just making broad political uh, attacks against the other side without facts to back them up. I don't want to be that guy. And really, it's hard to take from the media, isn't it? I think there's a natural sort of instinct for people on the right who are constantly beat up by the media to kind of just fire back with whatever. Like, I don't, whether it's true or not, screw you guys. You guys never tell the truth about us. If we're wrong, we're wrong. Who cares? I can, do you believe they even have the balls to do this stuff? Do you believe they have the balls to come on and say, well, there's a lot of stuff being spun up by the right when for the past multiple years, we've been seeing the left encourage their followers to go out and do all sorts of things to conservative politicians, leaders, commentators, people. Let me give you just a brief taste. When they go low, we kick them. Someone call the And if you see anybody in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. Maybe there will be. You cannot be civil with a political party that wants to destroy what you stand for, what you care about. Get up and please get up in the face of some Congress people. Is this the quote unquote mob? The left, an unhinged mob. This message brought to you by the GOP. They're right, though, on this. This has been constant, constant on the left. 
We've seen it over and over and over again. We talked about the New York race, how it's closer. Why is it so close? Part of the reason why the governor race in New York is so close is because the Republican gubernatorial candidate was actually almost stabbed on stage. He's made crime a big issue in the campaign, not because it's a big political choice, though it is a pretty smart political choice to make in this climate, but also because there was a shooting outside of his house while his two kids were home. You know, Kathy Hochul was like, oh, I don't know why you're so worried about this. I was worried about it because there was a shooting outside of my house when my kids were home. I was worried about it because I was almost stabbed on stage. And I know, Kathy, maybe you don't have any experience with that behind all the security and everything. But the people who might be voting for one of us, they do have that experience. And that's why it's a big issue in this campaign. We, of course, can go back to 2017 at the baseball field where a Bernie Sanders volunteer almost slaughtered 10 percent of all elected Republicans in Washington. Anyone care about that? The media didn't care much about it. Brett Kavanaugh. He was almost murdered. There was a plot to kill him recently. That story didn't even make the Sunday shows. It was ignored. It was ignored by most of the media. This story has been all over the front pages with Pelosi, the, the, the husband of a congresswoman. That story has been all over the place. When a Supreme Court justice almost died, wasn't anywhere. Wasn't anywhere. How about Rand Paul? Rand Paul was beat up by his neighbor. That was something that people cheered on. They thought it was funny. Rand Paul, we don't like Rand Paul. Rand Paul is bad. If Rand Paul is bad, then it's good that he gets beaten close to death. In fact, Nancy Pelosi's own daughter celebrated that particular incident. What we know about David DePappi is somewhat limited. We still don't know exactly what went on, but we do for sure knew that at one time he was a crazy left-wing liberal. He was a hardcore leftist that was a guy who came out and protested. He was a nudist protester, which, again, keep your clothes on when you're protesting. You can make your arguments about nudism all you want. Just do it with your clothes on, if that's okay. There's never been a good-looking nudist. Anyone ever notice that? There's lots of people I want to see naked. They're never the nudists. It's sad. It's a sad, sad part of our society. The point, though, is we can go back and look at the guy's history, much of it left wing. We can look at the guy's house. We can see that he had a BLM uh, sign on his house or his his weird, uh, somewhat pseudo spouse's house. We could see that they had a LGBTQIA2 plus uh, flag out in front of the house. All the left wing propaganda you'd expect from a, a San Francisco neighborhood. But really, does any of that matter? This man was clearly insane. This guy is nuts. We don't know exactly why he was nuts. We don't know what drove him to that. We don't know if he had some sort of political conversion at some point. I guess that's what the media is trying to say. But I mean, I listened to three mainstream media podcasts this morning. I do it so you don't have to. And as they talked about this, all of them made ties, broad ties to January 6th and Donald Trump and right wing politics and all these things. But none of them bothered to report At the very least, this guy was leftist for a very big chunk of his life. Now, when you look at his history, when you look at his recent writings, you see a weird mixture. It seems we don't know exactly what's there because they deleted all of it. So we can't see it. But we see things like um, vaccine resistance, uh, something that was very much a left wing issue until very recently. We talked to you about I think it's Marin County, which is uh, out there in California, which was the number one county in America for vaccine resistance. 
until the COVID vaccine. And then they flip sides and now all of a sudden they're super pro vaccine. All right, whatever. I mean, you say what you want, but that's not a right wing issue per se. You have uh, the uh, situation where he was talking about some of the election stuff being stolen. That's obviously associated with with QAnon and associated groups that are, generally speaking, Trump supporters, though not exclusively. You have all sorts of different views on there. You also have anti-Semitism. I mean, I don't know. What is anti is, is anti-Semitism a right wing issue? I certainly don't uh, associate myself with it at all. Kanye West. Yeah, he's been famously out there talking about it later. But so was Nick Cannon, who's obviously on the left wing. He was talking about the same stuff. Kyrie Irving. You know, Kyrie Irving was a big BLM supporter. Also seems to be uh, very closely associated with anti-Semitism. I don't know. That doesn't seem to be left or right. That seems to be a lot of people on the left. Certainly Elon Omar has been very closely associated with this particular movement. Am I supposed to say Elon Omar's right wing too? It's nonsense. But the bottom line is trying to, to suss out what this guy's political leanings were are, are, is besides the issue. They do, they're doing this thing where they're saying, well, uh, he seemed to uh, follow Jordan Peterson and the Daily Wire and Glenn Beck on social media. First of all, can we get access to these accounts so we can see if you're lying or not? Because we know you would lie about it if it would benefit you by 1% of the vote. We know you'd lie. But OK, we'll take your word for it for a second here. What does that mean? If you followed Chips Ahoy, is is Chips Ahoy responsible? Are they not producing enough chewy cookies? I don't know. We have no idea who they're following. And I will remind you, this is a universal law. I say it every single time one of these incidents happens. The person responsible for the incident is the person responsible for the incident. It's not Bob who said something that inspired them. It's not Freddie who got them angry at the gym and and they got all irritated. It's not Sally who works at McDonald's and wouldn't give them breakfast past 11 o'clock. It's none of those people's fault. It's the person who does the thing that's at fault for the thing. That's how our society works. You are responsible for your own actions. Even, as we pointed out with the shooting of Republicans, as bad as Bernie Sanders is, as many terrible things as he said about Republicans, he is not responsible for what some nutjob does with a gun based on his rantings. That's just not the way this works. And it's important to understand we no longer have any trust in the media. We have no trust in anything anymore. And without trust, we have nothing. Our society is more based on trust than any of us want to admit. We trust far more people every day than we think we do. When you're driving down the road going 70 miles an hour and there's another car coming your way at 70 miles an hour, the only thing in between you is a couple of yellow lines. You are trusting that person to not just swerve into you and end your life at any moment. That is what we do every day. We walk into a store. There are hundreds of people there. Any one of them could be carrying a knife or a gun and walk up behind you and shoot you in the head or stab you in the neck. can always occur. We have to understand that that's the reality. Also understand that it most of the time, I don't know where you live, but most of the time doesn't happen. We can typically trust our neighbors. They're not all terrible, crazy people. But there is an issue here that we need to kind of prepare for. We have to understand that we should be able to trust the media. That's all dissolved. We should be able to trust Washington, D.C. That's all dissolved. If we lose trust in each other, we have nothing left. And that's the thing. Sometimes politics and political leaning doesn't matter. In this case, it doesn't seem to. I remember the same thing. We have uh, Mark Kelly, of course, running for Senate in Arizona. 
His wife, Gabby Giffords, was shot as in a terrible incident that we all can remember. And we all can remember the rush to judgment where the right was supposedly blamed for these things. And it wasn't true. We found out later that the main thing that he had a problem with with Gabby Giffords was something to do with grammar. Grammar. He was insane. He had some weird world philosophy based literally on grammar. And that's why he did it. This is not a person who was sane, nor is the person that went into Nancy Pelosi's home. He didn't do it because he was like, I just don't want higher taxes anymore. That's not why this occurred, everybody. Now, most of the media went on. They got look, they got some access somehow to these uh, these social media sites. I mean, somebody at Facebook's got to be giving them this stuff unless they were they just happened to be on his page beforehand. And they got access to this and they've looked for people who uh, supported their particular political view. If uh, if they found someone like Glenn Beck that they could blame this on, then they would do that. But other journalists, instead of just searching social media, decided to actually go down to the neighborhood and knock on doors. Michael Schellenberger is one of those people. Michael, of course, who's been on the program many times. He's not a hardcore conservative. Not a, he's a moderate. He describes himself as a moderate. But he wanted to actually know what occurred in this situation. He wrote a book called San Francisco that talked about the problems from this area where you have massive, massive drug problems and mental illness that are go untreated for a very long period of time because of the policies pushed by people like Nancy Pelosi. Well, he went down there and talked to the neighbors and asked them, are these people hardcore right wingers? Who are they? Here's what they said. What do you say their politics are? Um, I'm not sure. I would imagine that they're more left-leaning because of their support for uh, um, the gay community um, and for, uh, I'm sorry, (laughs) for other people. But uh, it is... Uh, now I'm not sure what way they lean yeah. because... Because they have the flag, the LGBT flag with the yeah, pot. Yeah. So. But any signs of anti-Semitism? You know, they are completely unhinged, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it, they, nothing that they believe in aligns with their actions. So they'll say that they are you know, pro-black lives, and then they'll call the police on black people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so n- they don't stand by, their actions don't stand by their words. So some paranoid behavior, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, absolutely. And They're almost and some psychotic behavior, too? Yes. Okay. Hmm. I will point out that y- you can care about black lives and still call the police on an individual black man. That's not, that's okay. Uh, people are supposed to be treated as individuals. If you're calling them on them because they're black, then that's a huge problem. If you're calling because they committed a crime, that's a totally different story. Um, It's interesting to hear her talk about this because she at one point in the interview kind of describes herself as liberal. She's not trying to out them as liberal. You see they have left leanings, but the truth is more that they're just insane. People are crazy sometimes. That's the thing. Crazy nut jobs will happen. So we're not we're not above that as a society. In fact, we're getting deeper and deeper into that world, partially from good intentions. We had policies long ago that basically locked up anyone who seemed mildly uh, out of step with the rest of the, of the world. That wasn't a good idea either. But we've now abandoned all of these people with mental health issues and drug problems to the streets. We let them go out there and create all sorts of chaos for themselves and others and then uh, act surprised when crazy things happen. I mean, listen to this. The new the ex-girlfriend of David DePappi, uh, the suspect in the Paul Pelosi attack, says that mental illness and drug use caused him to deteriorate so profoundly that he grew convinced that he was Jesus for a year. Now, 
regardless of this, whether this person wanted higher taxes or lower taxes, which part of his story do you think is more important? Do you think it's the one where I just disagree on on uh, on the election results? Or do you think it's because he's been on drugs for many, many years and was a you know bizarre hippie and has melted his brain to the point where he can't deal with reality and there's no one around to help him because left wing politics have destroyed the entire entire structure that was supposed to do that. You tell me. And that's the end of the story, which isn't happy. But yes, this will happen again. Yes, another psychopath will come along and do something crazy. We can talk all we want about whether it's right-wing violence or left-wing violence. I remind you that the worst mass shooting by an individual in the history of the world that I know of, was the, at least in recent history, was in Norway, where they not only have really restrictive gun laws, but they wound up having a situation where political violence even hit there when people are super calm in Norway. They're super reasoned in Norway. There's no extremists there. They make it seem like America is the only people with, you know, country with these problems. It happens everywhere. You're not going to be able to stop every single incident. Paul Pelosi assault spurs call on the Hill for boosted lawmaker security. Well, you can do that. You can do that. That's important. We can look. Trust is something we need to have. We're not going to be able to stop. We're not going to be able to arrest everybody we think might be a problem. But what we can do is take basic precautions. Yes, every left-wing politician should have security at this point, as well as every right-wing politician. Brett Kavanaugh should have it. You know, Corinne Jean-Pierre should have it. Everybody you can think of in the public eye should have security at this point, including their spouses. It's important. Yes, we are in a very tumultuous time, and that could be an issue. But what you need to know about this story specifically is that journalism is not an option. You will not know anything true about this story that disagrees with the narrative for the next eight days. We have entered what I like to refer to as the Hunter Biden election window in which we are too close to an election for anything factual that could derail any votes to be told. No media source is going to tell you anything that is going to change any minds to a Republican vote. If we are at a point now where anything that comes out is going to favor the left from mainstream media. That is, they've abandoned the auspices of journalism long ago. You will eventually know the truth about this story, I believe, but it'll probably be approximately one year after this election and approximately one year before the next one, with the maximum distance given between two elections, so we know it won't affect it, because that's, of course, what all of this is about. Republicans have no skin in this game. Conservatives don't get any votes for this story turning out a particular way. The only way thing this can do is convince people that Republicans are extremists and violent. And of course, it just happens to fit directly into the narrative of everything they've been pitching all of this time. So remember, that is not going to occur. Now, before we go on to uh, other news today, I want to tell you that earlier this month, uh, it was reported that the national debt topped $31 trillion for the first time. And even though the media coverage of that was pretty much non-existent, I wanted to talk to one of my favorite economists on the issue. And I was in the middle of this interview, and I remember thinking, this is the most terrifying thing I've ever, I can't even believe this. I, I just said, you know what, i got to bring this interview back to people on Halloween because it is the scariest interview I've done all year. So I want to give you a conversation. This is stuff you have not heard from anybody. My conversation with Brian Riedel on uh, the debt and what we face in the future. It's coming up next.
Almost one out of every five Americans never have a chance. They never have a chance to be the, the, the annoying person at McDonald's who screws up your order. They never have a chance to be the person who cuts you off in traffic. They never have a, pers- they never have a chance to be the person who you want up growing to love and respect that might invent something amazing. They never have a chance to do anything because they are aborted before they're even able to be born. It's the leading cause of infant death in the world. Over 63 million babies have been aborted just since Roe versus Wade. 63 million. What have we lost? For all of this, I mean, what, and what have we gained? The Ministry of Preborn and Blaze Media are partnering to help rescue 50,000 babies from abortion in 2022. Basically, what they do is they help uh, uh, prospective mothers with uh, ultrasounds. And 80% of the time, after they hear that heartbeat, they decide to, can, to keep the baby. And then Preborn steps in and says, hey, let, let us help you. Let us help you with maternity and baby clothes and diapers and car seats and counseling and, and all of this free of charge. That's their level of commitment to life. So go to the site, uh, support Preborn. Uh, if you go right now, you can actually donate right on your phone. Dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, pound 250. The keyword is baby. Or you can just go to the website, preborn.com slash stew, preborn.com slash stew. Help support life today with Preborn at preborn.com slash stew. One of my favorite guests to have on is Brian Riedel. He's a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And since it's October, he's here to terrify all of us. Brian, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks a lot, Stu. Uh, you're quoted in this article from The New York Times. Uh, U.S. national debt tops $31 trillion for the first time. And I, honestly, I was a, a bit surprised maybe by The Times article and that it was, I think, pr- took the issue potentially seriously. I mean, it, usually I feel like this stuff gets blown off. No one cares about debt anymore. Uh, no one cares about spending anymore. But this, I took it pretty seriously and tried to put it in perspective, I thought, somewhat fairly. Can you kind of look, give us a look back at our debt and how far it's come and how fast it's, it's become $31 trillion? Yeah, the numbers are pretty staggering. Um you know, even if you just go back to the to the 90s when the debt was three trillion dollars, uh, now it's 31 trillion. But you don't even have to go back that far. When the pandemic began, the national debt was about 21 trillion. Again, that was just a couple of years ago. It was 21 trillion. We've added 10 trillion dollars in debt in about two to three years, which is which is really remarkable. And we're on pace to add about. Uh, 16 trillion more over the next decade. I mean, these numbers are staggering. They're too big to comprehend. But suffice it to say, we haven't had debt growing this fast since World War II. It really is remarkable, and it's happening at a pace that is is. It takes your breath away, even for somebody who t- talks about this a lot. I mean, I, I don't I don't hear uh, a, a lot of panic about this uh, the way that I think I should. And I would put a lot of conservative shows into this category. I mean, I, I feel like conservative shows, conservative media has sort of lost interest in the idea that we should rein in spending, except for the occasional big bill that you're supposed to fight against the Democrats. But when there's nobody on the Republican side holding this line, this is exactly what happens. Exactly. This has been a bipartisan problem. I mean, President Trump ran in 2016 on not touching Social Security and Medicare, which are the main drivers of long-term deficits. Under his presidency, just the cost of legislation he signed added $7 trillion to the 10-year deficit estimate. 
this is a bipartisan issue. You have the Republicans and Democrats getting together, being bipartisan, and usually increasing spending. And even right now, there's really no one, even on the Republican side, really talking about the real drivers of long-term deficits. You hear a little talk here and there about waste, fraud, and abuse, which, which matters, but the main drivers, the big reforms that can actually save us from, from the edge of the cliff, you're just not hearing it. You know, I, I feel like, Brian, when I first had you on the show, this show started right before the pandemic. And I remember having you on for the first time. We talked about these big debt numbers, which at the time now are quaint uh, from, from back, back in those days. And one of the things we've always talked about going back years and years and years and years is this idea that if you spend money like this and you're printing it constantly, eventually you have to pay the piper. Eventually you hit some level where inflation starts going through the roof and the economy starts spinning out of control and you're going to have all sorts of problems that you're not going to be able to solve. And then we had COVID. We tried this. We like we just launched ourselves into modern monetary theory without really a conversation. And all of these effects that we were worried about, I think, played out exactly the way that we thought they would. Yeah. I mean, the big issue has been interest rates. For a long time, we were told, don't worry about the debt because it doesn't matter how much we owe if interest rates are really low. If they're only one or two percent, we should keep borrowing. We heard that all the time during the Build Back Better debate. You'd be crazy not to go into more debt with such low interest rates. Well, what I was shouting at the time is that the federal government isn't locking in the interest rate long term. They're doing short term borrowing. And anyone with a mortgage can tell you, you don't make a 30 or 40 or 50 year debt commitment based on short term adjustable interest rates. So what happened now is in the past week, interest rates spiked again. The Federal Reserve and the market spiked interest rates. And now all of a sudden, even liberal economists said, uh oh, now that the interest rate is spiking, it's not only going to affect future borrowing, but the entire existing national debt, which was all borrowed on short-term interest rates, is all going to roll over into the higher interest rates. And that means the interest costs on the debt are about to explode. I have to say, I've been warning about this interest rate issue for years, and I hoped I was wrong. Unfortunately, I think I was right. Yeah, I, I think you were as well. And we're about to feel the pain of that. Can you kind of walk us through how this works, though, Brian? I mean, like you, you mentioned mortgages. I understand the mortgage thing, right? Like I remember at one point I had an adjustable rate mortgage and like it was always on my mind in the first like I think it was five to seven years. I had to refinance this to lock it in for 30 years because you never knew when the rates were going to go up. I mean, d does the federal government have a, a, a viable option to just borrow this money for 30 years? And if, if they do have that option, why didn't they do it? Just a year and a half ago, they could have locked in a lot of the national debt for 30 years at a 1.8% interest rate. And again, I was screaming, the Treasury should start selling 30-year bonds at 1.8%. You probably can't do the whole debt, but you could do a lot more. And instead, we were told, don't worry about it because interest rates will never rise again at any point in the future. That is literally what I was told. Interest rates will never rise again, ever. So what they did is they continued borrowing short term. In fact, the average maturity of the, of the national debt right now is 62 months. 88% of the debt rolls over in 10 years or less. So that means because the Treasury wasn't selling 30-year bonds, they did a lot of three-month, 12-month, and five-year bonds, 
it means again that when all of the debt comes up for renewal, it's all going to get rolled over into the higher interest rates. And by the end of the decade, the cost is going to be huge. Here's a scary number or two scary numbers. Every time interest rates rise by one point for the government to pay on its debts, it costs two and a half trillion dollars over the decade and 30 trillion dollars in over 30 years in higher interest costs. That's every one point that interest rates rise. I, it's absolutely breathtaking. I, 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 I it's. I mean, it's the entire. We just talked about it going to 31 trillion. One percent increase adds on another 30 trillion dollars uh, within 30 years uh, or over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And where do I, I, I like? It's just incomprehensible. We didn't lock this in. I mean, because the benefit, obviously, to have an what is essentially a, an adjustable rate would be that we're what saving some some money uh, in the very short term. But like, when it's 1.8 percent. How much could we possibly have saved? I mean, this doesn't make any sense why we wouldn't do this unless we were just inviting a national catastrophe fiscally. Yeah, it was it was insane. I can't justify it. I was screaming from the rooftops for the last two years. Treasury lock in these rates. I was debating liberal economists. I was told why lock them in at one point eight? They could still fall to one point four or one point two. What if they fall to zero point eight? Then we'll look like. You know, then we'll look bad for locking in 1.8. And I was going, rates are going to go up at some point. Economic variables fluctuate. They go up, they go down. 1.8 is not normal. In fact, the federal government was paying a 5% rate as recently as 2008. Before that, they were paying 6 and 7% rates. And long term, really, if rates go over 4% long term, the whole budget models blow up. I mean, really, the entire national debt trajectory we're on requires that interest rates stay below 4%. Otherwise, the costs start to grow uh, exponentially and things start to get really bad. <laughs> this is incredible. I mean, I, I feel like we're just looking at this. It's, you know, it's the, it's the typical movie scene where we all kind of see the giant tidal wave coming and that we're just sitting in between these two skyscrapers and just looking up and knowing there's nothing that we can do. I mean, is there... I know the Biden administration isn't going to do it, even if it's available. But is there anything that we could do if if things turned around in 2024 and we had someone who took these things more seriously? Is there any action? Are we getting to this? I feel like we're talking about we're on the left. We're talking about global warming. Have we reached the tipping point here? Well, the first rule of hold is stop digging. And that is I'm talking to you, Biden administration. Uh, They keep proposing new spending, student loan bailouts when you're in a hole. Stop digging. Second, whatever we can lock into long-term rates that's left, even locking it in now is probably better than the rates we're going to get a year or two from now. So start locking in long-term rates. Then we need to actually start reforming the spending programs, primarily Social Security and Medicare. These programs are projected to run a $116 trillion cash shortfall over the next 30 years. You heard that right. $116 trillion cash shortfall in Social Security and Medicare. They're not fully paid for with your payroll taxes and premiums. We have to start reforming that and reining in spending across the budget. Um, Otherwise, again, the numbers look really bad. This is just it's 
I mean, this was bad when we first started talking about this, Brian, but going back years and years and years and years, this was really, really bad. You know, COVID, I think, accelerated it. And we're now, I, the one thing about it is we're starting to feel this a little bit more. I think, you know, the, the idea that inflation is hitting the average day, every everyday person, I think, at least puts this into focus. Um, last one here. What are the rates that we're paying now? And do we have any idea what we're going to be paying here uh, on our debt here in the next uh, months to years? Yeah, I mean, the rate has already gone up from about, well, the, the 10-year Treasury bond, which essentially tracks where rates are going for the government, has already gone from 1.8 to 3.8. And Wait, does, it's, it's probably going to go higher. It could go up to 4.8 or 5. And that's going to be the rate that we're rolling the debt into. And remember, as I said, long term, the entire fiscal trajectory of the federal government depends on rates staying below 4%. And we're about to pass that right now. And so really, you know, cross your fingers and hope that economic conditions allow interest rates to drop long term. Or again, the the crisis that I've been worrying about will come sooner than we thought. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, each point is what, $30 trillion over 30 years. And you just said it went up two points. Like, this is incomprehensible. There's uh, just a note to the control room. Take this interview. Let's run it back on our Halloween episode uh, so we can just terrify everyone before they go out trick-or-treating. Brian Riedel, a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Uh, make sure to follow him on Twitter. You can read the article. It's a U.S. national debt topping $31 trillion for the first time. Brian, you're, you're, you're the last paragraph in this one. That makes you the closer. So congratulations. Thanks so much, Stu. Some encouraging data from the post-Dobbs uh, Roe versus Wade uh, era, I guess, that we're in now. Uh, overturning Roe has made a difference uh, over at least 10,000 fewer legal abortions. Now, we don't know the real difference here. This is only over two months, by the way, which is uh, more than I I think I would have expected. Again, people can leave the states that they're in and get abortions wherever they want. We don't know if people ordered. We don't know how much of this, like if people ordered pills from overseas. I did talk to somebody the other day who works with families that are going through abortions or considering it. Um, and they talked about how uh, people are having all sorts of really bad side effects from ordering pills uh, from uh, other places, other states, or even just legally here in the United States. All sorts of side effects from the quote unquote legal abortion pills. That being said, it's good news that uh, 10,000 people you know, that would have not been born have been born. That, I don't see how that's a bad thing. Uh, this is a good thing and an encouraging thing. And honestly, it's hard to know how long this will hold up. But I will say early on, that's a pretty good data point, just because a lot of the state's laws had not gone into effect yet. So we will see if that uh, if that changes even more here in the next uh, coming months. The Supreme Court is now considering uh, the Harvard and University of North Carolina's use of affirmative action. Now, well, if you, you know, to summarize affirmative action, you're basically saying, OK, well, we were going to if two people are roughly equal or maybe um, one minority group is ahead of another. We're going like if an Asian student is outperforming a Hispanic student, you might take the Hispanic student because they're not as represented at your school. Uh, a black student you might take instead of an Asian student or a white student. This is something that I think fundamentally comes down to the very important point that you should never, ever in your entire life make a decision based on skin color. It's a bad idea. I thought we had all mastered this, or at least we were thinking. We were heading in the direction of the utopia where we all kind of understood this. Apparently not. Uh, So they're working on this to see, is this 
uh, going to go forward, the, this court did seem pretty skeptical of affirmative action, rightly so. We'll see, including, by the way, Clarence Thomas, who was maybe the biggest critic of it. So we'll get into that here as more develops there. Uh, Twitter is now planning all sorts of things with Elon Musk, and they're going to start charging $20 a month for verification. Uh, I mean, maybe the company will pay that for me, frankly, but I, I ain't paying it. Why do I pay? Who cares if I'm verified? Why would I care? I mean, he, I, look, I like Elon Musk generally. I think he's a, you know, he seems like a good guy, smart guy. Uh, but I don't care enough about Twitter to pay $20 a month to be verified. Maybe others will. Maybe if it has some massive benefit to me uh, business-wise, I would consider it. I don't know. But seems like you guys should be paying us more. Right? We're the ones posting all the free content all the time. I don't understand. Anyway. And uh, also, speaking of uh, all worse than free content, Chris Cuomo. Uh, he is uh, now wanting a new time slot at News Nation, which apparently is a thing. Uh, he is, his ratings have been terrible. They're tanking. And now he wants a different time slot. I would assume, because he, he's going up technically against this program. He's on at 8 p.m. Eastern, which is when this show airs on Blaze TV. So he's scared. He's running scared yet again. I mean, that's what they do. Cuomo, he had to step down. He was scared of me. And then uh, Chris Cuomo, he got kicked out, and now he's going to run on News Nation. That's what happens. I mean, I can't help. I'm very, very intimidating. You should see me on News and Why It Matters. I had a powder blue tux on. It was very intimidating. I can understand why they'd be scared. Anyway, so um, long and short of the story is Chris Cuomo's a failure. Buying or selling a home sucks. Usually it really is a terrible experience, especially if you don't have the right real estate agent. This is our biggest investment. This is where your retirement is going to go. This is where it's going to come from. People save up money in their homes. They borrow against their equity. They do all sorts of stuff with their homes. And yet when it comes to buying or selling it, they're like, ah, how about that guy who put up a photocopied ad at the coffee shop? I'll use them. What about that person whose head was on a bus? Uh, yeah, bus ad, and, uh, and, I, and I saw it, and they drove by me and spewed diesel fuel in my face, but then it said, call Sally, the realtor. Don't do it that way. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com, get uh, a little bit of basic info, exchange that, the team will contact you to make an introduction to the preferred agent in your town. It's realestateagentsitrust.com. Don't miss it. realestateagentsitrust.com. And now for the latest edition of Stu Does Idiots Gluing Themselves to Things. It's a new segment here on the program. We would, of course, hope you spread the word on it. Uh, this one's in Germany. They glued themselves to dinosaurs. Why? We don't know. We don't. We never understand. All we, all, they just say they're climate activists. They say dumb things about the climate. The dinosaurs became extinct because they couldn't withstand the massive climate changes. The same threatens us. Didn't we get hit by a meteor? Isn't that why? Were you told a comet did this? I mean, if we get hit by a comet now, no matter how many SUVs we take off the road, we're not going to be able to be saved. Uh, can I go back to the... Do we have the picture here? Because... I, this, is, this is the thing that's killing me about these stories. If you're going to glue yourself to something and be there for a very long time, you have to be careful where you glue your hand to. They, this, people are standing up. What happens when you know, you're there for 20 hours and you need to fall asleep? You're going to be hanging there by your, the skin. It's going to be very unpleasant. This is something I tell to all climate advisors or activists. Go there, find a place where you can comfortably lie down. Then glue yourself there. Then you can stay there for a long time. If Bring a pillow. I mean, bring something to go pee-pee in. These are basic things you should understand if you're going to glue yourself to something to save the climate. This advice I give to you for free.
I mean, I recognize that the German activist sign is in, is in German, but it just looks like, it reads as if it's just English with someone drunk putting it together. It was when die regurgitating night. I'm Griff. Hat? I don't understand the language, but neither do they, apparently.